We started this in mid-May. We started doing this daily huddle and done it every single day since. And what I'll tell you is prior to that, if you look at like my revenue by week, prior to that, it looks just like, it looks, it's a zigzag, right? Like big peaks, big trials, big peaks, big trials, just like highly variable. And then we start doing these daily huddles and now the metrics that I care about um, as the business owner and as like the very like operationally kind of like entrenched guy, right? And the metrics that I'm like tracking, maybe like subconsciously, well, now they're like right there on a dashboard for the entire leadership team. And now everyone cares about the same metrics that I care about. Welcome to the SMB Ops Show, an exploration into the mental models and decision processes of operators. I am Joshua Schultz, and with me today is Rich Jordan from StrongPoint, a holding company for multiple operating companies, including Guarantee Plumbing. Today, we're going to peer inside his plumbing operation, and Rich is going to share with us some of the key metrics he follows and what he calls his secret sauce to running a high-growth plumbing company. I hope you enjoy our talk today, and if you would like to interact with me, the best place is Twitter. My handle is at Joshua M. Schultz. For those of you that don't know, Rich and I are close friends. We're going to try and not make this a 60 minutes interview and just um, two friends chatting some ops. And what I want to learn is I'm basically asking the same questions I ask him privately. Uh, how do you run your business and what are some of the things that maybe I can take away to help me run my businesses? So thanks for jumping on with me, Rich. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Josh. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Uh, I mean, we basically do this twice a week anyway, so we might as well record one of them. Yeah. Easy enough. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, you run, you run guarantee plumbing founded how long ago before you, uh, founded in 93. So we're at 28 years right now. And then I took over in September, uh, early September of 2020. So we are 15 months in. Gotcha. And how's it going so far? It's going well. So we started, um, we took over historically, it did about $1.2 million a year. It only had three employees. Now, uh, as we stand, we run, we're running right now at 3 million, 15 months later. Um, and we have 17 employees. So increased revenue significantly, but we also increased a lot of the costs. So, yeah, so you increase rev double roughly, uh, all organic growth. Yeah. For the most part, we, we did a, we talked in a very, very small book of business, um, about four months in. So January of last of this year, 2021, um, but that was only, you know, it was a five digit acquisition. Gotcha. So basically gave you some equipment and some employees. Yeah. Uh, some equipment and customers. That's it. Customers cash flow. Yeah. Nice. So what, what's your business look like? So plumbing, a lot of people just think it's basically the guy showing up to fix your toilet. But for my talks with you, it's a lot more than that. Um, what is a plumbing job look like? What are the main types that you see and that you operate in? Like, what are your guys doing when they show up at a, at a either a business or a residential? Yeah, sure. So for, first, we, we do like about ninety five percent residential, five um, percent commercial. So typically, you know, when I've got to send a guy to someone's house, that technician in his own truck needs to be able to do a couple things. He needs to be able to go out there, interface, like greet the customer, interface with the customer, find the problem, diagnose the problem, right? Because the customer isn't able to tell us like exactly what is wrong and what needs to happen, right? We have to figure out what is wrong. Um, so there's a little bit of like voodoo magic there, figure out what's wrong in this person's house, 
um, build a couple options as far as like repair, replacement, uh, band-aid fix, whatever, present that to the customer. Um, well, first also quote it, um, present that quote to the customer all right there. And if the customer approves, uh, one of the, one of the options, then either perform it then, or if we need to order some sort of special specialty material, then maybe the next day. Um, but very decentralized model as far as the, like, um, you know, quoting um, and performing that work. The technician needs to be able to do a lot. So you don't, hmm, you've got people, you're basically empowering them with the tools to solve problems and saying, hey, you're going to encounter a wide range of problems. Do what you think is best. I'm going to give you the supplies, the truck, uh, software, and hopefully you have the knowledge to self-diagnose, quote, discuss, sell, uh, implement, fix, build across the board. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. You're asking a lot of these guys. Um, and that was something we that a lot of companies run in, uh, an issue that a lot of companies run into as far as recruiting and an issue that I was running into. Um, and that was one of the reasons that we, we kind of built out a second tier of technician that we call an installer. That's uh, strictly just a, just like a skilled tradesman that doesn't have all that like sales diagnostic and quoting, you know, skill set, but is able to do the work. We've got installers now. Um, so that technician that goes out and diagnoses, quotes, sells, maybe a job that's going to be performed the next day. Well, I can kick that to an installer. It's going to come in and do that job. And now I can have that very highly skilled technician go on to other jobs to sell those jobs. And it allows us to more easily recruit because more people can kind of fit that installer installer box and we can then train them up to a technician over time. Okay. So you've got techs, you've got installers, uh, any other key roles at the business? I mean, you have a, you have a dispatcher, I assume, who's lining stuff up or no, that's all done with software. And Yeah. So as far as like the field, we've got um, a service manager that oversees all like all of these guys. And then we have technicians, installers, and then helpers. Helpers are like, think like 19 year old kid, you know, basically unskilled, but has a strong back, can, can carry stuff, can dig holes, stuff like that. Um, who wants to get into the trade? Gotcha. That's like where you fit in, right? You work you guys. <laughs> that, that is where I fit in. Literally when I go out in the field, I'm, I'm a helper, basically. Um, I'm, I'm climbing my way up the ranks, but I'm a very, I'm a very <laughs> you'll professional. Make, you'll make it one day, guy. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm sure you'll make it one day. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and then in the, so that's really like the field. And then in the office, um, we've got a call center manager and our call center manager also happens to fill the dispatcher role right now. Um, so she's kind of, she's kind of the puppet master of the whole company, right? She's, she's see it when we, we have, we have several CSRs that are taking inbound calls and feeding them to the dispatcher. Right, and the CSR stands for uh, customer service rep, right? So that right. like they're all like, they're external. They're they're in house now. Yep, they used to be external. Now they are in house. The whole team's in house. Why'd you make that call? Uh, you know, someone else's margin was my opportunity, basically. Um, I don't know if it was a quality control issue or just a financial issue. No, uh, we, had, we you know these the the folks that I had um, working for me outsourced were they were dedicated to me and they were basically trained by me um so that so that like really solid quality as far as third-party csrs go honestly it became like a price issue we, we just as we grew it it became too expensive to, to do it outsourced um so we brought it in-house and 
Yeah. <laughs> and it's the same, it's the same team. I brought the whole, the whole team. Right. Yeah, it works. Yeah. I know, I know like every business is different, right? And so like what, what you might not care about, what might be like a side thing for you is might be a huge thing for me. And so it, it, uh, in the foundry business, like we need to be able to basically own our own hiring pipeline. And so that's like a been a big thing for us is not outsourcing that, but building our own, like to me, that's a competitive advantage. If we can hire uh, great foundry workers at three different levels uh, across the nation, we can outcompete and severely de-risk the operation. Where in other companies, not necessarily foundries, but other companies and industries, hiring might just be something you just put on Indeed or whatever. So I think that there's probably arguments for CSRs that are in-house and CSRs that are outhouse or are um, outsourced. And so I was just wondering um, why you made the decision, but it just sounds like you were already training them. They were already yours. Why not? Why pay the extra fee? Yeah. And it's a mat- it's like a maturity level thing on the company as well. Like I think outsourcing the CSR role, frankly, like is a good idea for a very small plumbing company um, because really you need to be able to focus on like your trade um, and actually doing those things correctly. And you don't necessarily have time to like, and, and, and also like CSRs generally like a low paid position, low skilled, um, position and they churn a lot. Um, so if you, if you're a small company that only has one CSR and, you know, the plumbing companies and HVAC companies like live and die on answering the phone. Um, so like that person churns and then you need to go find somebody else, train them up. Like, that's a serious, serious hit to your business. So for me, like outsourcing that and like having another firm, basically, you know, even if they churn their CSR, like they're going to have somebody else there. Like my phone's always going to get answered. That was like very useful for me at early stage. And now like we're a mature enough company that even if I did churn one of my CSRs, I still have three more. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So it's not only financial, it's it's a de-risking move as well. You have, you have a way to ensure quality or train like have you figured out best practices for guarantee specifically and you kind of got that documented that helps you shorten that learning curve from three months down to three weeks maybe yeah so it's um so one it's having that like actual like call center manager who you know instead of like me having to do all the things that i do and then also occasionally try to qc the csr like now like that's a that's a big part of her role is is like listening because all of our calls are recorded. So she's listening to the calls, like particularly like I can see like what calls came in and were unbooked. So we'll give those special attention, right? Like why were they unbooked? Is that something, you know, that we could have mitigated? Um, and then she does training on a weekly basis based on that one-on-one with these CSRs. I think that was the extent of your question, but, um, and then we have, and we have like SOPs built on, you know, like, uh, we don't necessarily do like a scripted call center, but we have like blurbs, based on like certain things that come up um, to help them like be able to field these questions and stuff like that. Yeah. One of the things I've just started doing because we're building an outsourced team uh, in Mexico and it's actually working with somebody I've worked with before, but it's, Hey, when we reach out to customers, there's all like these rules that in my head and I'm trying to codify them. It's not always possible. But like, for example, when I'm emailing a customer that's upset, I never use the word you. I'm not like you didn't pick up the parts or you didn't send us the print on time. It's always uh, purchasing didn't send us the print, like just like little nuances that deescalate, smooth it out, but allow you to get to the point. And as I've been writing these emails and having these calls, I've been trying to write all that down so that as we scale, there is this like how to talk to customers document and how to resolve problems. It's almost like trying to codify at least some of the art 
Uh, are your processes trying to codify the art or are they just, is it, is it pretty formulaic because it's just a kind of a decision tree of what do you need? How fast do you need it? How urgent is it? Yeah, I think we could do a better job um, codifying the art right now. Like our, cause we've, we've kind of, we've grown the CSR team fairly, fairly rapidly. So our bridge to that is I have a very like socially adept um, that call center manager is like extremely like adept at dealing with, with clients. Um, and she like, she really jives with like how I want that to go down, which is very similar to, to what you're, to what you're saying. So right now it's like, as soon as there's an issue on the phone, like it gets punted to the call center manager, boom, she takes care of it. It's basically what we're doing right now, but noted on the art. I think that's, yeah, I think that's pretty, that's a pretty, uh, varsity approach. Yeah. I, well, it's, you got to have somebody. And that was the thing. I didn't have somebody like your call center manager. Like it was just people that were just being blunt, you know, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're going to cause a lot of anxiety and anger for no reason. Um, that's awesome. You found our manager. And that actually leads me to the second question that I had from earlier. You said you have a service tech manager as well. What are they like day to day? They're, are they just riding with techs? Are they showing up at calls? Are they watching how many people are out and about in efficiency? Like what is it that they're doing or managing? Yeah, so the service manager is pretty much responsible for my cogs, right? Basically, like he can kind of throttle up and down my labor and material cost, um, and that, like, especially like with the quoting, um, that because we have such a decentralized quoting model, there's some inherent risk in that that we don't quote properly, and then our our gross profit gets out of whack. <clears throat> so he's he's monitoring that. Um, he's, you know. Every week he's having sit down one-on-one with the technicians and reviewing their performance and, and how they're stacking up against the rest of the team in, in these key metrics. Um, and then basically he's like a coach. So he has this one-on-one with them, talk about how they can improve. And then every week as well, um, he's doing a ride along with each technician. And then they're trying to, you know, he's trying to help them along the lines of what came up in the one-on-one as far as uh, something that needed, needed to work. So, and then he's also like, you know, he's the, he's the master plumber. Um, so he also like oversees, you know, the large jobs, anything with like, uh, anything that like really needs some serious nuance, um, or where there might be some risk, whether it's like safety or technical, you know, he'll be on site for that job. Gotcha. And so I want to get to the metrics that he looks at in a second, but before we go there, can you just walk me through this? Maybe there might not be an average, but what does it look like? Uh, a customer has a problem. You said it's mostly residential. So we'll just say it's somebody at home has a problem. They do a search online for local plumber or they've used you before. They call up. That Then what happens? Where is that hitting? Who's answering? What are they looking at while they're talking to that person on the phone? Like, What is the magic that's happening behind the scenes that gets somebody there either today or Friday or whatever it is? Yeah, oh, man. There's a ton that goes into this. So I call this the customer journey, right? Said so name homeowner, uh, their water heaters, their water, they have no hot water, right? Um, so a couple of things are going to happen. Either they're going to like call their friend and be like, hey, do you know a plumber? That happens all the time, right? Or and people actually recommend you when they ask that question. Isn't that shocking? Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, or, I mean, uh, surprisingly frequently, like they'll like walk outside and they'll see one of my blue trucks on the street and they'll call the number on the side of the truck or they'll go grab one of my technicians, um, outside. Wow. Somebody so, wraps, good investment for you. Yep, definitely. Um, 
And, uh, but you know, most of the time it's going to be Google Plarn near me. And so we take, you know, we take our position on Google very seriously. We've got a ton of reviews and that's a very deliberate effort. Um, like if you don't put deliberate effort into getting reviews, you're not going to get any like straight up, even if people love you, you're not going to get the reviews. Um, which is actually proven out for me in like an AB test recently we can talk about, but, but that person's going to call and like someone's got to pick up. Um, like that's a big part of it, right? So like one of the metrics that I track on a daily basis is how many missed calls we had the, the day before. So like yesterday, today's Wednesday, yesterday we had three missed calls. Like not bad, not bad. Out of, out of how many? Out of, I actually don't have the total call metric in front of me, but like probably out of 150, you know? So we missed three. Um, most companies like aren't, you know, they might think they know how many calls they're missing, but they don't actually have that data. Right. Um, they, they say, Oh, well, we only had, uh, we only had four voicemails yesterday. So we must've only missed four calls like wrong. You probably missed 25 calls and only four people left you a voicemail. Um, and that was us. That was us for the first you know seven months of operation. Um, and it blew my mind when I was able to actually track how many missed calls we had and saw that we, you know, we were missing like 30 calls a day. Holy shit. So that's, that's upside revenue with no extra investment on your part. You just got to be there to pick up. Basically. Yeah. Be there to pick up. I mean, for us, it was, um, for us, it meant like hiring another CSR because a lot of times it was that it wasn't that someone wasn't available to pick up. Well, it wasn't that someone wasn't sitting in front of the phone ready to pick up. It was that they were on the phone with somebody else. It was usually the problem. We can get to this in, like later, but really quick, how did you go from using voicemails as missed calls to actually knowing you got like, does it go into a software somewhere or how do you know somebody rang and didn't get answered? Yeah. So, uh, we switched to service Titan, um, and service Titan has that ability. Now, a lot of guys use service Titan, but they don't run their phones through service Titan and they don't get to see that at all. So they're still, they're still paying the same price for service Titan, but they're not getting that functionality. Um, just cause they're not using tracking numbers and, and all that stuff. Right. So, so is it, is it reasonable to say you can look at, let's, let's, let's say you thought you had two or three missed calls a day. You really had 40 missed calls a day when you, did this change. You look at those 40 calls. Can you take your average job number and your close ratio and project out lost revenue and then just see if it makes sense getting a CSR to get those for you? Is that a reasonable approach to trying to grab that? Definitely. So, I mean, I'm doing that metric. I'm doing that calculation every day, every week. So, um, it's, it's a little, it's difficult to do it on raw calls, you know, like just on raw calls because a lot of those calls are your customers like that you've already booked jobs for and they're wondering when you're going to show up or is a technician calling in or whatever. So we, we, we actually break it out into leads. So when these calls come in, you know, particularly like now that we answer basically all of our calls, um, I can see, you know, it gets, it gets categorized into like uh, non lead or lead or, you know, something else. Um, so for me, I'm looking at how many of these calls were leads um, and I track this daily and then assuming like our, our goal booking rate on the phones is 80%, right? Um, we, you know, we often fall short of that. We're 75% this week. Um, so 75, 80% of those leads can expect, I can expect them to be booked. And then based on that number, how many technicians do I need? Right. Um, to be able to fulfill, uh, fulfill those booked leads. So. That's, I mean, that's because a lot of this business is like kind of pairing um, or finding, you know, parity between demand and capacity. So that's, 
something I think about a lot. So like right now we're looking to hire a technician because I can see that we have enough leads. Um, and based on my booking rate, I have enough leads that will be booked that I could, you know, I can feasibly have another technician on. You could just, do you wait till they're fully paid for, or do you make the call early to keep the growth going? It depends. It depends on the season too. You know, there's some slight seasonality to this business. So, um, for instance, like what's, January, what's your, what's your busy time? What's your slow time? January and February are the slow um, months. Basically, like uh, we call it, like a holiday hangover. Um, and then even even in plumbing, it's much more dramatic in HVAC. But in plumbing, even uh, we have like June, July, uh, really June, July, slight dip in August as people like um, prepare to send their kids to school. And then September, October, November, pretty pretty hot as well. So June, July, September, October, November. What causes that? I mean, I would think plumbing is shower, toilet, all stuff you do at the pretty the same ratio all year round. What's you have any idea what causes the seasonality? People stop showering in the, in the winter. <laughs> yeah. Um, now you know what it is that we the the level of like emergency service calls pretty much remains you know for the most part remains constant, um, but it's the uh, like the discretionary plumbing stuff that falls off gotcha. projects. What, oh, that's a good question. So what is your split you think between emergency come fix this versus we want to redo something? Yeah, it's hard to say. I, you know, I'm speculating a little bit cause I haven't really done that math, but what I do know is that January would be about like, um, two thirds of the revenue of, uh, of July. So like maybe that's the discretion. Two two thirds is discretionary. One third discretionary. Yes, yeah, like that one third. That one third of revenue kind of gets chopped off the top in January. Gotcha. Okay, and you just you carry out with two thirds. I'm assuming more margin in the discretionary. Uh, you know, it's hard. It, you know, I don't know. Um, depends on how you kind of bucket it, but like for us, our like holy grail is a sewer replacement, right? So. You're only going to replace your sewer like in like when your sewer you're in by sewer I mean like your main line going out to the street um, like backs up into your into your basement or into your into your house right so you got shit on your floor um, you can't shower you can't use the sink you can't use the toilet so that's an emergency the actual replacement of the sewer not necessarily that's pretty discretionary right because like I can I can go in and clean that drain get you back up and running and you know maybe you won't have a root problem in your sewer again for a year 18 months um it's like the sewer replacement's kind of discretionary but it's like uh it come you know it uh it it's like genesis is from an emergency you know what i mean so same thing with water heaters like water heaters high margin for us people generally don't call us for water heaters unless they're broken but again like replacing them is a discretionary um you have a you have like a marketing channel or system whatever so that when people get a drain clean like a sewer problem resolved but don't replace the sewer you're in touch with them every two months so that when they do decide to you're the people that they think of yeah so anytime someone's main line backs up i've got a guy on our team who's like specialized um and trained for like sewer sales he'll go out and he'll quote that basically he gets like the lead kick to him from the drain technician um he shows up gives them like usually like three or four different quotes um, of like varying severity. Um, and if he's not able to close any of those quotes, 
it goes up, <clears throat> it goes into like our kind of like follow up feedback mechanism, and yeah, they'll get they'll get followed up until they you know tell us to GTFO. <laughs> Just get emailed once a month, drowning in shit yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of times on the second call, you know, like a lot of times they um their sewer backs up. Maybe it's the first time we go out. We clean, you know, we uh, we clean the line. We give them the quotes. They're like, ah, no, I want to roll the dice. And then the second time, you know, six months later, the second time they got shit on their floor, um, and you know, their their daughters' like uh, toys are ruined and stuff like that. Then, uh, then sometimes the replacement comes through. But yeah, I think I think I get the gist of the plumbing business from a macro level. Uh, what are you monitoring? It so you got I got a couple of metrics and and ratios I'd like to I'm interested in. What are the ones you care about from the macro level? Resources, equipment, um, personnel. What are you measuring that to? Is it cash or, or revenue? And then also, what's your what's your service manager kind of monitoring as well? So we'll start with the service manager, um, and this is this is my job for a while. So um, service manager is monitoring a couple of things. He's monitoring um, conversion rate. Right, so when a technician goes out to the job, what percentage of those calls is he actually getting? You know, more than our dispatch fee, right? Because that's that's huge. And he's and he's monitoring average ticket, which you know is kind of, you know, kind of. There's a little Venn diagram between average ticket and conversion rate, right? Um, if you're getting a bunch of zeros, your average ticket is going to be pretty low. <clears throat> um, average ticket, not so. Splitting that off from there's a difference between average ticket and average sale, right? So sale is like your average when you sell something. What's your average, right? Average ticket is like when you go to someone's house, what's your average, right? And and that's like, that's what I'm interested in um, and the service manager's interested in because I know I can, I, I can plan for a guy's time, his capacity. I know I can send him on, say, three or four jobs a day. Um, if I can get, say, a $700 average ticket out of that, then I can, I know I can, I can expect $2,100 or $2,800 a day from that truck, Um so that's where that's where your average ticket comes into play. I don't quite understand. Let me let me put it in general terms and if see if I'm on track. Average ticket is your total revenue over like how much work is being done, including dispatches where you might not get any money. Right. But average sale is when we do actually get a job and get the business. Here's how much we're actually making. So your ticket should, in theory, always be lower than your sale. But the ticket tells you. Are my, am I covering all the work that I'm doing, including dispatching and discussing with people? Is that um, that's exactly it? right? Yep. Okay. And, and so with the average ticket, you said that's the one you're watching, and you've got two things you can look at: how are they quoting, how much revenue can we get from these jobs, and how efficiently am I running my operation so that we are doing as little as possible to close these high end or these these higher jobs. Correct. Right. And yeah, so something we track as well is is a technician's efficiency ratio. Um, so all of these jobs when quoted and, and we're not, um, you and I talked about this a little bit, but, um, you know, these kind of trades companies fall onto different sides of the spectrum. You're either billing out on time and materials, right? So I give you the hours it's going to take my hourly rate and the cost of material. And that's, that's my cost. You know, I'm doing the same thing, but I'm doing it internally and I'm just going to give you a flat price, right? Just like Burger King tells you that a burger's you know five fifty, right? They don't tell you the cost of materials. So we're a flat rate shop, but we're doing all that math in the background. So I can track how many billable hours a technician has sold, right? So not just his revenue number, but the billable hours he sold, and then how many hours he worked, right? 
Um, so our goal, our kind of like threshold goal is 40% on efficiency. Cause like I said, like our guys are driving around, they're wasting a lot of time, you know, picking up materials, driving to jobs. We do what we can to minimize that dead time. But for the most part, like 40% um, is a pretty solid goal for efficiency ratio. 40% being what exactly they build at 10 hours and it took them four hours to do. No, so say like they worked 40 hours. They worked 40 hours and they sold 16 hours and performed 16 hours worth of work. Right. So, like, that's where, and that's where a lot of guys who are new to the trade, particularly like technicians who are now like starting their own thing, they get it, they, they do the math wrong because they're like, all right, for every hour that I sell, you know, they're trying to figure out their margins. Um, they're like, well, I want to pay myself, you know, 40 bucks an hour. Um, so I need my billable hour rate to be, you know, and then I have, you know, some level overhead or whatever. So I'm going to bill, I'm going to put my billable hour at $75. Well, the reality is like you're screwed because, um, you don't realize that you're only going to bill for 40% of your time. Gotcha. Cause you have the driving around, the discussing the whole, all the other stuff that you don't think about as working. So that, that like 75, what would have been 75, like probably should be 200, you know? And this is why you have those small plumbing companies where they work their butts off, charge a decent rate, and at the end of the year they have no money and can never figure out why they're barely scraping by. Exactly. It's it, that's yeah, almost seen a lot of it's definitely an efficiency. Every industry has their own thing. Yep. One hundred percent. Okay, so you made a comment there. You bill at a flat rate. You said you have the hours that it should be, but if you're billing at a flat rate, how do you know what the hours? Do you have like an internal system for hours per job or a grid or something like that? Yeah, so we um, uh, like really like the beating heart of one of these companies is going to be the price book. So you know we have like a menu based price book that a lot of like time and thought and like uh, you know continuous update is given to as far as like what do materials cost, what's our markup on those materials, how long does it take us to do these jobs, um, you know this specific job, this you know you know for us like two and a quarter hours is what we bill for a water heater replacement. That's like knowledge, like built out of like blood, sweat, and tears, right? I was going to ask: Is there somewhere you can go get those? Like, is there a organization where you can become a member and they'll give you a template price book? Or no, that's just every owner has their own. There are, I think, a lot of them fall short. I mean, like a lot of them are a good starting points. So like off the top of my head, you have like the new flat rate profit rhino. Um, there's a bunch like geared towards the trades, and some of them are pretty expensive, but a lot of guys use those. Um, but basically like, even, even if you do buy into one of those things, like you still, you know, if you want to be like a best in class operator, you, you have to put a lot of work in behind the scenes to get that last 20% of the price book. Are you kind of refining yours? Like looking and being like, Hey, we just did 10 of these. They're all over our price book hours. Um, we're only getting 30% efficiency. Do you go back to the technician or do you go adjust your price book? Uh, both. Um, it depends. Like it really is case by case. I mean, we look at it, it. So the red flag goes up when we see that. And then it's kind of like, you know, based on like what we know about that technician, um, his like strengths and weaknesses, you know, is it a technician problem? Like it very well could be, or it could be a price book problem. And we also, and, and we also, uh, we bonus our technicians on those sold hours sold as well. Cause that efficiency is so critical for us. And it's, it's like kind of caused like this nice feedback loop where the technicians are incentivized for that sold hours to be accurate in the price book. 
Um, otherwise, like they're, you know, if a job takes them three hours, but we only build it for one, like the technician's getting screwed, right? So we've got a feedback loop from the technicians now where there, there have been several instances where they're like, hey, look, like, you know, we should adjust the price book here. Gotcha. And so your are your technicians incentivized directly through their efficiency? Like if if they bill a five hour job, they can do it in 30 minutes. They they win, they get more money for less hours. Yeah, it's a little it's a little simpler than that. So we, you know, like I said, like our goal is 40% efficient. So, you know, on a typical 40 hour work week, that's gonna be 16 hours sold. So for us, we they, you know, they're just getting paid their hourly rate. Um, they get a base hourly wage. And then once they hit 16 hours for the week, every hour they sell above that, they get a hundred dollars. So if a guy, you know, for instance, if a guy sold 30 hours in a week and performed it, then he would get a $1,400 bonus for the week. And then it's on, it's on us to manage his time, right? Like obviously like if he sold 30 hours and worked 70 hours, like that's, that's no good for me either. Right. Um, so it's on, it's really on the service manager and on the dispatcher to manage the OT for these guys. And then we bonus them on their, uh, on their billable rate, on their billable hours. Are you comfortable sharing what some of your service techs are making with the incentive? The best week a guy's ever had was he got paid 60, I think it was $6,300 in a week. That's, you know, that's like way outside of typical, but uh, max, yeah. yeah, but very often guys are making $400 thousand dollar bonus um, a week. Um, you know, I, are kind of like middle of the pack technicians making like 120,000 a year. Yeah. Nice. That, that's nice. That keeps them happy and loyal too. Bought into the business growth. Yeah. And it, it's, uh, you know, it's a way for us to like pay top of market, right? Like um, I've, I've said in the past, like my goal is to have the highest paid technicians in the country. Um, so it's a way for me to be able to pay top of market, but I'm only paying top of market to the top performers. Yeah. This is something I'm trying to go through right now. I think we talked about it offline was how do we get people to want to make, in my case, more castings uh, and get incentivized for more castings. Um, but then you have the secondary consequence, right? They make crappy castings and then they don't get shipped and they end up jamming up a different part of the business. And so working on team incentives, but uh, I love the idea of, Hey, as we do better because you're doing better and using your time better, you get compensated, not, not the company, not anybody, but you, like you get to get that win. Yeah. What's interesting is, um, I think like, uh, like systems kind of lovers, like, like you and I can kind of get, can, can really get wrapped up in incentives, right? Like, like really like tweaking this incentive down. So like, um, like what are all like the kind of branch scenarios and making sure like none of them uh, are possible. The reality is that like, what I found in my, in my case is that like none of these incentive programs are perfect. Like they're just not. And at a certain point, like management and leadership has to take responsibility for like some of this performance. Right. So it's like, like, uh, like, in, like in that case, um, like maybe you did a piece rate per casting or per, per like palette of castings or something. Um, but, oh man, then guys are going to be incentivized to, slam through these castings and we're gonna have all these defects well like like that's on the that's on like the foreman's you know that's on the foreman right i mean like at a certain point like leadership and management like can't be abdicated to the incentive system you know um so that's, that's a really I, good point it's something that i've kind of like arrived at in the past year 
um, after like banging my head against the wall. For, uh, for yeah, for I think you're you're hitting me where I'm at right now. Trying to incentivize the right things, not de-incentivize, ends up getting more complex. Ends up not being implementable without tons of tracking work. Um, and I like what you're saying that basically stop goofing off with the spreadsheet. This is on you, Josh, to make sure that your guys are doing the right thing. And this is just a way for them to make more money. Basically. Is that, yeah, it's on their direct supervisor. And maybe, maybe, maybe the direct supervisor's incentives are tied to that counter metric. All right. Um, what other metrics are key? What is your labor as a percent of revenue? Like how much are you paying for your whole company? Goal for us is, is 20%, um, 20% unburdened, 24% burdened. Can you break that out for me? For burden being with all like the taxes and everything. yeah, yeah, with payroll tax and stuff, right? So twenty four percent for field labor is our is our goal, and then seventeen percent for supplies and materials is our goal. Um, and then we, you know, <laughs> I think I made a joke recently that like a gross margin, you know, depending like without like an agreed definition of gross of gross profit or gross margin, like it's useless with these companies. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for us, like yeah, because me and you always go back and forth on margin and i always look at uh activity per i think labor or inventory or whatever and you're like yeah it's totally useless for me you know (laughs) yeah so like for us like my i consider my cogs to be labor like direct labor um supplies and materials fuel for my vehicles permits um and then I, I, I lump like refunds in there and subcontractors when we occasionally use them. So that's my COGS. And I, my goal is my COGS is 52%. Oh, I'm sorry. My COGS. No, geez. Uh, my COGS is 48%. My gross profit's 52%. 52. And then what's after that? Like leases and stuff like that? Or is that up in COGS too? No, uh, yeah. So um, my OPEX is um, like the big like kind of like the big rocks in my OPEX would be advertising, um, which for us is about eight to 10% of sales. And then uh, office. Is that Google? Yeah, it's, it's Google. It's PPC. It's um, Google local services. It's home advisor. It's uh, it's the website. It's the truck wraps. It's, um, you know, eventually it'll be like radio TV, stuff like okay, that. So it's all of it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, you know, eight to 10% going to advertising. Uh, our goal for office, office labor is uh, 10% of sales. Um, so 10% going to the office. And then, you know, the other big ones are like ones I can't really control. So it's like rent and uh, insurance, um, stuff like that. So it's all kind of a mixed bag, but our goal for OPEX is, is 35% of sales. All right. So you got these metrics. What is your, like, what's a, what system do you use? Do you just once a month run down and look at them and see what's out of whack? Do you wait till there's a problem and then go diagnose it? And then you're like, Oh, I got to pay attention to this. Like, what is your system? Like your feedback loop of this is getting out of whack. This is what I'm going to work on over the next month. Do you talk to your service manager? Just can you explain that to me? Yeah. So the, I, I consider this like my secret sauce. It's like, um, we have, we have a day. Right, I'll, yeah, I'll stop the record. I'll, I'll share it here. <laughs> Um, we have a daily huddle every day at 10 a.m. Um, and we're reviewing metrics from the day prior and some metrics for the same day. So um, like one of them is like every day we're tracking field labor as a percentage of sales from the day prior. Um, every single day we're tracking material build percentage of sales from the day prior. 
um, because we realized that those are, you know, like those two buckets and cogs, um, if one of them gets like 20%, you know, out of whack, 50% out of whack, like you're not making any money this month, right? You just lost your entire margin. So field labor and material, particularly us, like we track material build because, because of that, like decentralized quoting model, right? Um, so we have to make sure like our technicians are quoting material correctly, particularly, um, in this kind of environment recently where we've been having like 10% increases in material costs every single month. So it's not that the technicians are, you know, malicious and misquoting, but they're going off of like a, a heuristic from six months ago, um, which might be literally like 50% less than what the actual stuff costs. Um, so that's been like a behavioral thing. Standardize that or, you know, drag and drop on the quoting so that you can control the prices that they're quoting from service Titan or something. And then they can, we gave them a lot of leeway for a while. Um, and it's just, we just couldn't get it right. Um, and, you know, we were doing training with them and, and basically talking to them about it in their one-on-ones and talking about it in their ride-alongs and like trying to get it right. Couldn't get it right. So we basically just like took that like free freedom away. And now like now basically the material billing comes from the price book and the price books handled in a centralized fashion. So you centralize that you see any from a personnel side, you see any negative consequence to that or no, I, I just know that like you always want to decentralize, right? You want to give people freedom. Uh, you try to talk to them more and more, but at some point you just sometimes need to take it away. And sometimes you see this negative, you know, whatever you want to call it, that is worse than just them quoting on their own. I see some people just give up and be like, all right, do whatever you want. We'll just take the 5% loss versus some others just say, no way, we're not taking a 5% loss, but then end up with 10% when people start leaving because they don't like the new, you know, lack of freedom. Uh, how was how how that pertained and how do you view that in general? It's a balance. Like all these decisions are a balance. I mean, like we, I knew making that call and, and that's why we drug the call out for so long. That's why we didn't do it because we knew the technicians wouldn't like it. Um, but at a certain point it was like, look, like this is, uh, you know, we're getting our, our lunch eaten by our misquoting of material. Um, and it's like, it's, it's, at su- it's at such a bad point that like, I'm willing to, to, you know, basically piss off the technicians and do this. And I did, and they were pissed off about it for two weeks and you know what? And then they forgot about it. So, and that's basically how this goes every time, you know, like if you need to like tweak the incentive program, they're all pissed off about it for two weeks and they forget about it. Yeah. Just like for something. So you said this was your secret sauce. You think it's the meeting daily and kind of creating that unity. Is it constant metric review? Is it accountability? Like what do you think is the secret sauce? Yeah, I think it's a bunch of things. So before we, we started this in mid May, we started doing this daily huddle and we've done it every single day since. And what I'll tell you is prior to that, if you look at like my revenue by week prior to that, it looks just like it looks, it's a zigzag, right? Like big peaks, big trials, big peaks, big trials, Um, just like highly variable. And then we start doing these daily huddles. And now the metrics that I care about um, as a business owner and as like the very like operationally kind of like, um, you know, entrenched guy right and the metrics that i'm like tracking maybe like subconsciously well now they're like right there on a dashboard for the entire leadership team and now everyone cares about the same metrics that i care about right and we're able to like throttle up throttle down um we like in particular like we've been very deliberate about all of these metrics when they're up or down in the red one way or the other like we have a playbook 
a daily playbook for each of those things. Right. Um, so like we're taking, we're taking action out of that meeting. And now instead of like that highly variable weekly revenue, like now it's just like nice and smooth on an upward trend. Um, which, you know, obviously I'm very happy about, Yeah, but you can literally see it. There's like a, there's like a demarcation line. It's like, this is when the huddle started and now the revenue is smooth. It just smooths out. You created that playbook since you bought the business or like kind of started documenting, okay, when this is out of whack, here's what I did to fix it. This is how we're going to handle it from now on. That pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Hard, yeah. Hard won lessons, honestly, hard won lessons around all these metrics. Um, and they're, they're not just like technician field sales metrics, efficiency metrics. They're also like call center metrics. You know, like I mentioned, like my booking percentage. Um, that's something I didn't track before. Um, but what I've realized is as an, as an owner of one of these companies is that the, the phones are so critical, right? Like you, you see guys like talking shit on uh, their local trade company on Twitter saying like they called five different companies and only one guy picked up the phone and he's booked out three weeks, right? Um, well, like the logical conclusion is that like your, your, your performance on the phone is pretty important as one of these companies. Um, so that's why we're tracking missed calls, um, booking percentage, um, you know, how many leads are coming in, all that stuff. Um, and that, and that, that allows, you know, so one, like how are we performing in that area? And then also like, what does that mean for like downstream capacity, um, for technicians and stuff like that? So you've got a daily huddle. What else do you have? That's a kind of a regular occurrence. You got any weekly, please? Yeah. So we're not, we're not like your typical like EOS traction company, but we do, I did steal like the L10 meeting out of, uh, out of EOS. So we do, we do a weekly L10, um, EOS meeting, um, which goes over, you know, we have like each, like, so there's four kind of like leaders in my company, including myself and, um, each of us has like different, like kind of a scorecard with different metrics that we're responsible for. And then we have like overall goals that were, that were like trending towards, um, we talk about issues and basically it's like kind of an iterative, like every week it's like, that's where we get really get better. Right. Um, and then, you know, that kind of like populates a to-do list that each of us is responsible for as well. All right. You got a daily with the ops guys. You got a leadership weekly. Um, how often you're doing financials? Not not little parts, but the whole thing. Like, what, how often you get the whole thing? Yeah, the whole thing. Um, probably more than I should. Um, but really, like, it's really only useful to me on a monthly basis. I'd say, you know, like for me to like look at my P and L and get like a really good read. Like, basically, it needs to be like ten days post the, the previous month. Not look at it for All right, so just once a month. You're checking financials. Um, what about quarterly and annual? What kind of stuff are you doing? I know sometimes you go to events looking for new ideas. Is that like a once a year type thing for you? Yeah. Um, it's been, been quarterly, but it probably will be more of an annual. Um, so I'm a member of uh, Nextar, which is like a uh, HVAC and plumbing and electrical, like best practice or organizations. It's basically like the largest, um, most, you know, most legit one in the country. Um and they hold, you know, basically like they hold training and they have like business coaches and stuff like that. So I have like a, a monthly meeting with a, with a, with a coach. Um, and then we'll travel to these events. We'll get to like walk through other companies, shops, you know, we'll go to like, a, uh, we were like, I saw you in Minnesota, <clears throat> we were doing like a business planning workshop there, um, with other business owners. 
So that's been that's been pretty useful for us too. And and that's like honestly like that's you know we're conducting the training, but that's also myself and my partner kind of like getting off and doing like offsite, you know, basically like business related retreat where we're like just like focused. get bigger for a little bit. Yeah, get away from our like wives, get away from the company, and you know, plot world domination. You know, yeah, we'll have to edit that part about the wives in case they listen. But other than that, got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, nah, that was really good to see you up in Minnesota. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, too much fun finding out that I made a horrible decision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. And so anything else on a regular basis that you monitor to make sure it doesn't get out of whack metric wise, financial wise, people wise. That's probably, I mean, that's probably like the real meat of it. Um, like I'm looking at my huddle right now and it's really, it's like leads coming in, booking percentage, abandoned calls. Um, the one thing that we haven't talked about yet is, um, and this is really key. And this is something that I, uh, had shared with our friend Sam to try to help him out um, is we track what I call variance. Um, and this is t- completely related to capacity. So I, you know, our goal is to start, we start every day. Our goal is to start every day with three jobs on the board for each technician. Right. So if you had 10 technicians, you want to start the day with 30 jobs on the board. Right. So say I step in on a Monday morning, I want 30 jobs on the board at that time on the board for Monday. I also want two X technicians on the board for Tuesday and one X technicians on the board for Wednesday. I, I don't understand that. What do you mean by that? So, so again, like, like say I've got 10 technicians, I want 30 jobs on the board today. I want 20 jobs on the board tomorrow and I want 10 jobs on the board for the, for Wednesday. Right. So we track that on a daily basis as well. Right. So, and I basically, what we do is we total, we total that up. So in this scenario, it'd be six, that'd be 60 jobs, right? 30 plus 20 plus 10, that'd be 60 jobs. And that's our goal. And if I, if I see that, you know, across those three days, we have 80 jobs. So we're plus, we would, we basically, we look at it as a differential. So the number would be plus 20, right? Um, plus 20 is like, Oh, I shit. love you. You're this math for me. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, <laughs> So, so like plus 20, <laughs> plus 20, it's like, oh shit, like I've got more jobs booked than I have capacity for, or, you know, basically like I still have capacity for those jobs. Right. Um, cause like in a three day period, I should be able to do 90 jobs, right. 30, 30, 30, but I don't want all of them booked today over three jobs. Cause I want to be able to have responsiveness for my clients. Right. If I have three, if I have three jobs per technician today, I can probably get, more, I can probably still book more today. So I can still offer people same day service. And if I only have 20 on tomorrow, I know I can offer people tomorrow. And if I have 10 for the third day, I know I definitely not can offer them the third day. You know what I'm saying? The second day. Yep. So you can use this to, I'm, I think I'm jumping ahead here. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is your standard setup. You've got a high variance. You've got plus. You might have somebody call and say, Hey, do you mind moving to Tuesday or Thursday? If you've got an extra 20 jobs on for today and an extra 10 for tomorrow, you might try and reallocate some time just to make sure that you're still responsive getting a hold of them ahead of time. At the same time, how often does this happen? Or I should say, how frequently does this have to happen before you say, Hey, we're constantly at positive variance time for a new tech. That's exactly why we track it. That's exactly why we track it. So those, those two reasons are exactly why we track it. So when it's, when it's high variance, um, we're immediately, and we, we prioritize our, so all of our different kind of like call types get prioritized in the three buckets. Um, and it's next call. Like this is a job that, um, 
like the next available tech like gets to that house. So for me, that's a main line backing up because I know the sewer replacement is such a high ticket for me. That's no hot water. Um, those are really like the two big ones. Um, there's some, like a like gas leak, right? Would be a next call priority. Um, so next call, which is top priority, and then there's priority one and then priority two. All of my jobs fall in those three buckets. So if we're like super high variance, then we immediately start calling the P2s on the board and we start bumping them out. So that's one of the actions we're taking to free up opportunity for, for, you know, high priority calls. Um, and then, yeah, if we're, you know, if we're plus 20 variants, like for several weeks or a month, you know, in a row, then it's like, yeah, we need to hire one tech. Maybe we need to hire two techs. Um, cause you got to think like three, two, one on the three days. So for every tech you add, you're only decreasing your variance by six. It's so like, this is something I went through with, uh, with Sam Leslie, like his, um, his company like has a lot of volume. They have like a lot of leads coming in, but they, they need more, they desperately need more techs because their variance is like, you know, their variance is like in the thirties. Right. Wow. So, and what it's happens is, revenue. yeah. And what happens is when your variance is really high, now you don't have that responsiveness. Now you're going to start losing calls. Your booking rate, your booking percentage on the phones drops because, and, and, and if you do like, like we do, we catalog all the reasons why we don't book calls. So, you know, the availability reason starts to creep up like, Oh, we lost five jobs today because we didn't have availability. You know, that's, that's a lot of money. Yeah. I'm even thinking about this in different businesses where uh, let's take mine where we're planning production in a facility. Right. And, you know, maybe it's not day to day. Maybe we look at one week, two weeks and three weeks. Like you look at Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we, if we're constantly at a high variance, we know, Hey, it's time to buy a new machine we would always have it busy, right? And uh, a way to justify capex expenditure or a new person. We have the machines, uh, we can put on a new shift. I'm just, it's interesting to think about using this variance concept as a way to consider when to make further investments in expanding capacity, whether it's resources, people, or machines. Yeah, uh, yeah and, and what's kind of like the, the wild kind of like other side of this is that when you really start to, when you start to track this and you start to take it really seriously, right. And you start to realize like the detrimental effect, effect it has to have this positive variance, you start to operate like on this razor thin line. Right. I mean, like me, ideally my variance is zero. Right. Which, which really means that like on a, on a given Monday morning, I don't have any jobs booked on Thursday. That blows people's minds when I tell them that. But that's like, I mean, that's how I live my life, Josh. Like literally like, um, you know, like three days out, I might have nothing on the board, but guess what? By the time we get there, like it's, it's, we're full. Um, but that's like, that's how a best in class, a best in class plumbing company, like that's, that's how you operate. That's crazy. Like, okay. So you have a high variance, you're pushing the stuff off and it's filling up your week. Uh, you kind of alluded to this, but I'm just putting myself in your shoes. Like. All right, I hire a guy. Now those don't get pushed off. You have to trust that that backlog is not a result of pushed off jobs. <laughs> you have enough new jobs coming in. So I'm assuming this variance goes along with call volume and booking rate. And you need to see both of those going up together. A mismatch in those shows an improper management on you and your company's part, not so much a misallocation of resources. Right. Yep. And that's exactly why we track daily leads and we track the variance. Um, our technician hiring decisions largely come like, you know, 
the variance really affects like how we're kind of dispatching and how we're bumping stuff out. The the hiring of the techs is really tied to the daily leads that we're getting. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure that there's some elasticity there where as like there's stuff you can't measure as you hire somebody, you get more responsive, you get better reviews, you're actually going to get more leads anyway. You just don't know how much, but there's like a small boost effect for making that that's not measurable, but it's to the upside. Yeah, you'd hope so. Yep, for sure. Interesting, man. I'm I'm thinking about this for, for my business now. Um, not implemented the same exact way, but I could see where instead of lead, for me, instead of lead times of six months and three months, if I can get down in one month, we become the shop that can get it done in one month. We get more business anyway. For us, we'd be looking at quotes and we'd be looking at um, capacity and who's working what machines, what we could make, and just looking at that variance. Uh, will take a while for us to implement, but I really that's a really interesting concept. So I want to talk to people like you. I want to learn I want to learn your secrets so that I could I can generalize them and apply them in a different industry. Yeah, you just have to get comfortable with kind of like, you know, like bringing bringing all that stuff close, right? Means that means that that cliff where there's nothing is like much closer as well. So you just have to get it's kind of like a uh, psychological thing almost, but Yeah, I think one of the things I would have to do, so we just started tracking, we implemented a whole quote system. So we're tracking the quotes that we are closing, the ones we're losing, and then why we're losing. At this point, I can't tell you why we're losing them. I know some of them are wrong materials. Some of them are, we don't have time. They don't want to wait. We can't meet the lead time. But as we categorize those more and more, we'll get that Pareto analysis. And if the biggest one is we can't meet their lead time, for me, that's saying, hey, these are closable. We just aren't doing it. This combined with a high variance all the time, we may be able to, again, I don't know if it's people or machine, that's a whole different analysis, but a really interesting concept to at least have some backup to make that decision because a machine you can't undo, right? And castings and yeah, um, that's where my mind went right there. I was like, you know, that might be like a $500,000 investment or something for you guys. But for me, it's just a technician. But if the, if the numbers are there for long enough, then, you know, spending 500,000 to get 1.5 million is an easy choice, just bigger numbers. What technology are you using to measure this and understand all this? Sid Service Titan earlier. What else are you using to get all this consolidated and share it out with the team? Yeah. So, I mean, um, Service Titan is like kind of like where all the data gets captured for the most part. Um, like, I don't, there's really, there's not a, uh, there's not a single metric that we have that Service Titan doesn't capture that data for us. Actually, material build. Not even that, even that's not true. Um, that's captured by service sign as well. And then it all like, uh, like fairly manually gets, gets plugged into Google, a Google sheet that everyone can see each person that, uh, like has responsibility for these metrics has their own sheet on that, um, you know, in that like workbook and that populates the central dashboard. And, uh, and we brief off that every day. Gotcha. So you guys, your whole team just pulls up his Google sheet, has a call, walks through it together, measure daily. It's your daily huddle. Yep, exactly. And we keep it, you know, like sometimes that meeting's like seven minutes long, sometimes it's 15 minutes long, but it's very, very rarely long, longer than say like 15, 20 minutes. How many people in that meeting? Four. Yep. So it's myself, it's my general manager, my service manager, and my call center manager. All right. All the leaders. And what else? What are you using for phones? You guys got a little bit of a phone thing. What plays into Service Titan? What can plug into that? Yeah, so phones all voice over IP. Uh, we use Dialpad for that, and it plugs in, plugs. I've in heard good things about that. How do you like it? It's good. It's better than so. We were using Ring Central before. Um, Ring Central's like reporting 
is garbage. Um, Dialpad's reporting is much better. Um, so if you want to pull data out of Dialpad, it's much easier to do so. Um, Ring Central is garbage. This podcast brought to you by Ring Central. <laughs> yeah, oh, <shit. laughs> it's only no Ring Central's got terrible reporting, and, and their user interface is kind of. You know, it's just leaves lots to be desired to dial pads, much more user friendly. And then it also, there's all sorts of stuff you can do with it. Like we, um, we're able to like, uh, it's, it's super cool actually. Like we're able to put, I mentioned those like script blurbs that we have when certain things come up in conversation. So in dial pad, when my CSR is on the phone with somebody and, uh, an annual membership is come, like comes up, right? Like that that word, that phrase comes up in conversation. There's like a rolling kind of chat on the side of the screen for the CSR and it it's transcribing the conversation. And when that stuff comes up, it pops up the blurb that we have to be able to oh, answer that's that neat. question. Super cool. So you can put any keyword in and then a blurb. And then as it sees that keyword, it's going to show you those blurbs in the chat. That's pretty neat. Very cool. So when you have a customer say, you suck, I can have a, you suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know so at the I same like... time, so the call center manager, right? She has like an admin dashboard for Dialpad. Um, and Dialpad is able to see, it's able to kind of recognize when a conversation has gone negative. Um, and she gets an alert. Is it like a sentiment analysis or yeah. is that just her watching it? Yeah. No, it's a sentiment analysis and it'll like pop up a red flag for that conversation for that CSR and she can jump into the conversation. Oh, that's really cool. It's, yeah, mean, it's, it's really bad. Odd look into it. Pretty badass uh, software. Yeah. I've used Open Phone. Open Phone had some cool features, but nothing like that. Neat I mean, it's it's uh it's probably like way overbuilt, um, but it does have a lot of sweet functionality. Yeah, I mean, anything to help with I I feel between you and the customer, anything that helps with the quality of that conversation or that information, uh, within reason, is a worthwhile investment because. Just there is so much that can go wrong with not answering a customer on time correctly or with the right information. And so anything you can have to facilitate more quality, I have found customers will wait longer, pay more, and deal with all the things we're afraid to have them deal with if we simply communicate with honesty and respect. And so, again, having a tool that helps you scale honesty and respect and tried and true lines to help you get there uh, is a worthwhile investment. Yeah. Absolutely. What else? Um, Anything else that's cool that you guys use? We basically run the whole company off Slack, you know? Um, so we got different channels. Like the technicians are all on Slack. They're updating the dispatcher on their <clears throat> on their progress, you know, how much time they need on a job. So this, you can work the dispatch board live. Um, CSRs are in there. They're pinging her. Um, different questions while they're on the phone. And then, you know, the leadership team's all in there, you know, working stuff out. So the whole company kind of, the, like the beating heart of this company is, is Slack, I would say. Um, yeah, I love Slack. It's um, I don't like real-time communication. I think it's dangerous and unproductive. So if you can establish a policy in the company that this is not for real-time communication, this is for async collaboration, uh, I love it. I know I've just set up just this last weekend a number of channels that get automatic spin-outs through Zapier. So for example, kind of like you do with your Google Sheets, we grab a lot of production numbers at the end of every day. We have those production lists get aggregated, a dashboard created, and that gets thrown over to uh, a production Slack channel that then drives the daily huddle the next day. Also keeps people like Reg or whoever that aren't in all of that. They can just pull it up, scroll through, and instantly they're apprised of all the progress of the company without having to call and say, what's going on or how are we doing on this? 
It just lowers wasted communication. We call it pull communication. People can go to Slack to get what they need rather than having just a bajillion emails sent to them in notifications. Yeah, and that's what it's become for me. Um, yeah, I can basically go in there and I can, you know, I can uh, like, you know, soothe myself that everything's going okay, right? Without having to like ask people what's going on. I can just see it. Um, so, yeah. So I, I want to hit one more topic with you. This one's a little a little more of a gray area. I give you a lot of shit for this topic, but I do truly respect you in it. And that is this leadership topic. Um, <laughs> I have I have had a lot of conversations offline with you about building teams, inspiring teams. Um, we've talked about do you make the strong stronger, or do you spend that energy making the weak stronger? Uh, and I, I just, uh, you come up with some natural intuitive thoughts that I would never hit on. And so I just wanted to you to share, if you don't mind, kind of a, your general approach to uh, leadership. Um, I think everybody knows your, your original story. Um, but I would just love you to free to share a little bit about your leadership approach, what you've tweaked as you've been at Guarantee now for 18 months and just share that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, for anyone watching that doesn't know me well, so I spent my entire early career as a Marine Corps infantry officer, um, platoon commander, stuff like that. So, you know, leading basically like leading like blue collar, um, technical experts, right. Just different, different, uh, different skill set. So I, I very much brought that to guarantee with me. Um, I mean, uh, it's such a broad topic. There's a lot we can talk about. Um, yeah, so I'm leaving it open. I'm gonna let you hit on what you think is most important. Yeah, I mean, for me, like basically the the whole foundation of my like any kind of decision I make around leadership, um, or like you know, motivating my employees or, or getting the most out of the team or whatever, it like all built on this foundation that like the leader exists to support the organization, right? And it's not like a it's not like the king like being carried like in his little like you know velvet uh seat um with everyone like toiling and sweating underneath him it's like you know the the leader like really exists to support the organization um that's like you know before this call you and i were talking about how my role has changed at guarantee and and actually that was a really hard transition for me because i felt like i didn't know i didn't and, and for context for everybody else like i had slotted in a general manager and i very much like kind of came out of like the tactical day to day and it became like what, like me as the leader now, and in this like kind of new leadership role, like what does supporting the organization, supporting the team, like what does that look like for me now? And th- and I struggled with that for a little bit, um, but that that's like the bedrock of my like whole approach to leadership, right? Is that the leader exists to support the team, and and you know, um, so one like that that like very much colors my mindset, it also colors my actions. So when I when I'm when I'm on site, like with the guys. I'm very much not like the guy like standing back from the hole or from the water heater, like with a coffee, like, you know, sipping and watching. Like I'm, I'm there, like we were joking earlier, like I'm, I'm the helper. Literally. I'm like, I'm carrying the heaviest stuff. I'm doing the hardest things. Um, and I like completely subordinate myself to the technical experts. Right. Cause this is like their realm and I'm there to help them. Um, so that has gone a long way like that specifically i think has gone a long way particularly like with that you know blue collar like demographic like those guys really they buy into that and they should i mean being being in the trenches with them garners loyalty and respect uh but like do you have what else can people do 
to, to lead as a support structure? Like, what does that mean? Because a lot of people say that, but I've heard a lot from you of how you carry this out. And I like, how else can people support their company without just like, you know, for the looks of it, jumping in and working for a day, right? Because like anybody can do that. And now some do do that. And it's like, yeah, you're slowing stuff down here, buddy. Can you get out of the way? Um, but how, how can a leader really support their company? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually met a guy recently who was like a, the CEO of like a much larger um, HVAC company. And he was talking to me about how how he agrees with my leadership approach. And um, he cooks breakfast for his office employees once a week. You know, and I'm like... Shut up, dude. <laughs> That's the system, not leadership. <laughs> yeah, it's, bull- it's bullshit. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, so one, I, I really just think it, it is like actually like truly embodying that mindset, right? Like if you are, you know, there's a difference between like doing that stuff as a gimmick. Like if you really don't believe it and you're just doing it as a gimmick, like you're not going to be that guy all the time, right? If you really do believe it, if you're like, I am here to su- to support my team, um, then it, it colors how you approach everything, right? So like, so now I'm in this position where I'm mostly interfacing with my managers now, right? As opposed to my technicians. Um, and, and I'm helping them like work through their problems, right? Cause I, cause I also understand that like my time is a lot more flexible than theirs for the most part. So like where I, like, like Pamela, she's, she's a dispatcher. She's the call center manager. Like her day is like very synchronous, right? Very synchronous. Um, she doesn't have a lot of time, but she's got all these problems that she, that, and projects that she's working on. So how can I help her with that? Same thing for like my service manager, you know, same, like he's basically, he has all these urgent, he like legitimately has urgent things he needs to deal with, but he also has these important things that he's trying to work on. Like, how can I help him with those important things? Um, I don't know. And I think it's just like how you communicate, right? Like there's like certain things that I want to see these managers do, or I want to see them do them better. When you, when you truly do believe that you you're there to support them and they're not just like cogs in your wheel, like you, you kind of approach those conversations differently. You know, I think that like that drives the organization forward. One of the ways I've always thought about it, I think it aligns with what you're saying might not be the same exactly is I've always thought of myself as a good problem solver. So I can, I can think from a couple different angles just because of my background and can quickly arrive at a solution, maybe faster. So I try to see my job is, Hey, what is slowing you down with creating friction? And my job is to remove friction from your job. And so again, I see somebody that's taking 10 times longer. I'm going to say, Hey, I see what's going on. I'm sorry. It's taking you so long. I'm going to build a tool or fix the process or jump in so that it gets better for you. And I'm basically the intern walking around trying to solve other people's problems that work you know, for me. So I see it as my job is to remove the frictions of the people that are trying to run the business. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's a good summary of, of how I see it as well. And basically what I've done, well, at first, like I was doing all these things, right? I didn't have the team I was doing it all myself. So I have like, a, I'm basically like a, um, I'm really bad at doing everybody else's job, right? <laughs> They're all better at their jobs than I was when I tried to do them all. Yeah. Um, but I have an understanding of what, of what their job is and I'm able to kind of help them out. Like, like you mentioned there. Um, and then, and then the expectation is like, I'm going to, I'm going to like decrease that friction or, or maybe I'll take this completely off your plate, like through automation or, or through a process. Um, 
but then I'm going to dump like more shit on your plate. You know what I mean? Like, um, your, your job's not going to necessarily get easier. It's just going to change. Um, and, and that's, that's how we've kind of been able to increase capacity while staying pretty lean. Right. We just like the people that we have in place are now doing way more than they were doing before because a good, a good portion of what they were doing has been taken off their plate and automated or processed out or right. the bottleneck searching and, and elimination. You do that every month for five years and you end up with a totally different company, you know? Awesome, man. Well, thank you for jumping on and teaching me how to run a plumbing company so I can compete against you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks. Please don't. I don't think I could. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could. Oh uh, man, you're a smart dude. Uh, I really appreciate it, Rich. Thanks for taking some time and walking through a lot of that stuff with me. Um, like, like we were talking about the, the, the variance that the more people that I talk to that are good at running their businesses, the more ideas I get about how to run mine, uh, and how to get better at it, different approaches from different industries. So really appreciate it. Yeah. Feelings mutual, man. Thanks for having me on. All right. I really enjoyed the conversation. Mm-hmm.